0: This is episode 217 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome to episode 217 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Hussein Kudrati on the show, and Hussein is a good friend of mine. He's also the lawyer that helps me out for legal work I need done here in Ontario. And he is what I often describe as uh, The Dozakis' guy, uh, because I think he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Uh, Hussein has more stories to tell than I think we have time in the day, and um, there's more that he doesn't tell uh, than you could possibly imagine. So in this episode, I just tried to scratch the surface a little bit about some of the things Hussein is up to. He's an international investor with citizenships in many different countries. He has investments in many different countries. He's willing to invest absolutely anywhere on this planet. Um, Very commonly investing in the United States and uh, also in Canada and and everything in between. I've had him on before and he talked about doing some industrial storage investments. Um, In our discussions yesterday, we went over some of the acquisitions he's doing in Houston, Texas, as well as a lot about mindset. Hussein's big on mindset and we really dove into some of his thoughts about life the world um, what people need to be focused on if they want to have success in the current climate and uh, then even off camera he mentioned that he has uh, a really cool storage development in uh, brooklyn something that he didn't mention on the podcast so uh, just so there's just a million things that uh, you might find interesting about hussein if you actually have a chance to talk to him which i highly recommend uh doing if you have the opportunity Uh, but in the meantime you can certainly enjoy this episode if you're enjoying the show i ask that you leave a five-star rating and review on any of the audio platforms and if you're a video watcher on youtube hit the like subscribe and notification bell just to help us get out to more people Uh, i'd be greatly appreciated and share the show with somebody you think it might help Uh, so without further ado let's jump into episode 217 with hussein kudrati Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've got Hussein Kudrati back on the show after a while. Year or two?
1: I think It's been about a year. Yeah, or so, about yeah. a
0: year. Um when I when people ask me about you I I say you're basically like the Dozakis guy. So uh, mm-hmm. you're like the most interesting man I know. Uh, <laughs> so I had to get you back on the show and and uh just kind of see what you're up to. Uh also a huge wealth of knowledge. So uh thanks for doing this.
1: Absolutely. I I love chatting with you and, you know, happy to support and, you know, add value to your listeners. Hopefully that's always what we try and do with this,
0: right? Yeah. So lawyer by trade. Uh,
1: Lawyer by trade or by hobby, I guess, and businessman by trade.
0: Business. Yeah. Entrepreneur, right? Like super well-connected, obviously. Uh, But you have such a backstory. I I didn't even know originally. You went to school in California.
1: Yeah. Law school in California. Born and raised in a small seaside town in Mombasa, Kenya. Yeah. Went to boarding school in the United Kingdom.
0: Yeah. Just kind Uh, of an all over. (laughs) Immigrated
1: to Canada. Went to Queens and Kingston for my undergrad. Yeah. And Yeah, and honestly, for me, I always use education as an opportunity to travel. Yeah. Because for me, education was always more than what you learned in the books in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It, was it was experiences and the people you encounter just ex- yeah. living life. And yeah, so, so I was privileged and blessed that I had parents that supported and encouraged that. Mm-hmm. And then I had, in truth, I had also got the drive and the grades that also yeah. facilitated. Because it takes both, right? It takes... A supportive and network environment, and then it takes your own ambition and drive. And that's the thing that I tell, always tell people in anything in life, right? Yeah, you have to have both. You have to set up. You have to surround yourself by people that are rooting and supporting your success. Yeah, and then you must also be willing then to work for it. Because mm-hmm. you can have the most supportive network, but if you're not ambitious and you don't have a work ethic or a drive, right, you're not going to get. You're not going to re- get the results that yeah. someone who may, might have a less supportive network, but has the drive and the hustle.
0: But I think it's a factor of clarity. Like people who appear not to have drive just aren't clear on what it is they want. Don't you find that?
1: It's true, and I guess to some degree that does, and again, your environment helps you understand and figure like out. Like if you're right? around
0: cool people doing cool things, you start to get clearer about what you
1: want. And you so you realize the options in the world. Yes. Right? like you're, yeah. You realize what you want to do, right? But ultimately, it still comes down to, especially in today's age, right? And this is, in fact, I had a coffee with someone before coming here, and we were talking about like kids today, right? They have technology at their fingertips. They would make me look like I was from the stone ages with what they can do on a computer or an iPhone. Like for me, it's like I call, I text, I surf the net. Like that's the limit. Like I don't really use apps other than social media maybe here and there. Mm -hmm. But when you ask them to actually function in terms of knowledge of the world despite having all these resources and the ability to use them so effectively they don't have a motivation or a desire and so like i feel like i knew more about the world when i was in like grade eight or grade nine than like the average grade eight or grade nine today and for me that's the concerning in where where are we going in terms of preparing the next generation to actually be entrepreneurial minded to be curious about the world. Because when you're so insular in the way you think about it, like for a world that supposed to, is supposed to be more tolerant, is supposed to be more inclusive, like if you look at just like, and I don't care what side of the debate you land on, but like if you look at this, the COVID pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. What happened is both sides stopped listening to one another completely. Yeah. Both sides were speaking a vacuum to their own echo chamber. Yeah. And it almost became that us versus them mentality mm-hmm. versus just realizing that you can have different points of view. It's okay. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can disagree without being disagreeable and respect that two people may not see things. Yeah, the same 100%. Way.
0: But I feel like a lot of people don't see that anymore. they don't, they don't realize that, like you said, they don't realize that you can be respectful and disagree.
1: But for me, if you cannot, yeah. if you cannot achieve that in an, in a yeah. normal social setting, how are you going to achieve that when you add the passions of money and business and yeah. things like that? because in business mm-hmm. I promise you this if you think you're only going to work with people you like and will agree with you yeah. you're not going to get very far you might like you literally will be stuck mm-hmm. but you have to be re- willing to realize that in business you you have to stay true to who, what your beliefs and values are yeah. but you can also show respect to others yeah, and be tolerant and inclusive 100%. and and that's what I'm saying right mm-hmm. like people just need to be willing to work in that kind of a uh, was that goal and it's just sad to me a little bit when yeah. I do that. Yeah,
0: because you got little ones. I, I have uh, a young son as well. And uh, yeah, obviously we're both thinking about, you know, how do you how do you teach them the life lessons you want them to know?
1: Yeah. And for me, I've always said like I, I want them to have a work ethic. Like I'm not talking about like, you know, put them in a sweatshop, but I expect them like I expect my three year old to make her bed every day. Like that to me, that's a minimum yeah. expectation. Because if I don't start teaching those values now, where she thinks, well, mom and dad make her bed, yeah. you're setting yeah. in her mind yeah, this mindset that, well, mom and dad do something else for me. Yeah. Like, you know, like toys. Like, if if you want your toys, if you want to keep mm-hmm. playing with them, you put them away, you put them in their place. Take them out when you want to play, yeah. and you return before you get the next one. It's, yeah. it's again, it's just a basic sense of discipline. Now she's yeah. three, you have your issues, you have your tantrums, you have this. And you still have to be loving and patient and kind, but at least I'm starting that. I hate the word indoctrination, but I'm starting to teach her that you know what you have a responsibility. Like you're, a, you have to be a contributing member, and it starts within the family. Then it goes to the community. Then it goes to the world.
0: Absolutely, and I agree. I agree with the work ethic, right? Just you know, like just because they don't have to like there's no reason not to in, in, enforce those those practices like i want to get my son out helping plant the garden this year and uh, he's only 14 15 months so he's not gonna be much help but he'll learn and he'll see and then eventually you know he'll help too and um interesting thing i i heard in an audiobook uh when i was driving one time was uh, that uh like if you, if you praise your, your kids' accomplishments, then when they, f- they fall short of the accomplishment, then they'll feel like devalued. But if you appraise the work ethic or the effort, you know, that's something they're in direct control of. Like they, can, they can't control whether or not they get the prize, but they can control whether or not they tried. Okay. And you can always uh, encourage that. And that's one of those things that as my son becomes more aware, I'm going to really focus on. And that takes as a parent. That takes a lot of discipline yourself to to make sure that you're catching those wins and,
1: and, and but but that's also where I disagree with the way the education system has gone right and and it's true people might your listeners might think that you know what this guy really dislikes the education system. they're not wrong because for me, I see like we we reward participation there's almost this equivalency of participation as being hard work. showing up is yes, it's important to show up. But that doesn't mean that you worked hard, right? That's you could have hard. shown up with no preparation, no work, exactly. nothing. So for me, it's like you have to reward effort. If you're giving effort medals, yeah. I'm all about that. I would support that 100%. Yeah, exactly. I would even support that over achievement because I would recognize the kid who, you know, maybe could not run 5,000 meters and now they finally ran 5,000 yeah. meters. I would recognize that kid over the kid that had the best time because there was that marked improvement and effort to get better. Yeah. But... Here, anyone who crosses the finish line, no matter what effort, no matter what outcome, it's all the same. And I'm like, what are we actually teaching? How we, how do you pursue excellence? And for me, excellence comes from effort. Because even if you look at the people who are most successful, whether it's on Wall Street, whether it's athletes, even someone like Tiger Woods, yeah, he's a phenomenally talented golfer. But if you ask what sets him apart, it was his work ethic. Like yeah. he was hitting balls longer Early and later. later than everyone, everyone else. And he would go
0: for a workout like the same day as a tournament. Like he was always active. Like he was the really fit guy when everybody else wasn't, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. and he, he changed, changed, the changed the game. game. He, yeah. People realized to now compete, you had to, you know, work out and you had to, you know, think about nutrition. You think about psychology and you had to think about, you know, what was going on between the two years because that was so much of actually what golf was, is a mental game. So it, it, it just, he revolutionized it. But he didn't revolutionize it just by talent. He revolutionized it by outworking his competition, outthinking his competition.
0: Anyway, so yeah, this part about work ethic, I think it's like super, uh, super important because I think a lot of people are kind of settling for, and myself included, like good enough results. Like it's good enough, but where's that strive for excellence? I think uh, creating the work ethic for me is getting really clear, like getting really clear on what I want. Of course, having my son helps me get more clear. Uh, you know, I'm ready to do more, be be better, be more aggressive,
1: to create that life. It's interesting, and this, because this is a lot of it is a real estate theme podcast. Yeah. When you say good enough, it's one of the one of the things that, as, as a real estate lawyer, often bugs me, mm-hmm. because I often talk to investors, right, and they tell me I get these returns on my flips or my projects and everything else. And as you know, like until the blip last year, real estate prices just kept rising, rising, rising. And so often I would push them and I'd say, How are you evaluating your returns? How are you actually judging your success in real estate? Because if the market in your area, on your neighborhood, was going up 20, 25%. Right? Yeah, it wasn't you. It was the market. And so, so and so I always ask them, like, have you actually like done the research to say, what did I add to this value? What was my actual return because of the you know, the flip work I did or you know, the severance work I did or whatever it is, yeah. what did I add and what did I gain versus what the market was just doing anyway? Yeah. Because for me, if your if your return after costs and everything are factored in is actually lower than the average market performance, yeah. are you actually that great of an investor? Yeah. Or are you just a speculator who got lucky because of a rising yeah. tide? And and so for me it's one of those low hanging fruits because you don't see them, and it's even with realtors and others. They're very few. They'll tell you the market did this. Oh, well, at the peak it was this and they'll sell you on those things, right? Yeah. But they won't actually, especially when you're working with investors, very few will actually go into the depth of saying these are the numbers and this is why you should do it, whether you're an investor or that, to actually say this is what I can do for you. This is what my why I what distinguishes me because yeah. that's the person I want to work with. That's the person I want to partner with because that's the way I, I approach things. I would be telling you, that this is what I can do. This is what the market does. Yeah. I'm going to bake that in. And I'm going to yeah. outperform the market. Because that's when you know you have someone who you want to work with. Because right. they're the innovator. They're not going with... Because everyone can go with the market. Everyone can get in and rise with the market. But you don't want to be you know one of those who's constantly... You want to be the one going where... Well
0: the days of that are sort of gone at this point anyway I mean I think we're kind of going back to a time where it's gonna be more like your one two percent a year is probably more likely than getting back into that twenty or ten
1: percent even but it's crazy like lately I've seen like talking to a lot of clients multiple offers like I'm it's like, happening again fifteen yeah. twenty you know, offers on properties is not becoming uncommon again in the Hamilton, Burlington. market.
0: And I think that the big reason that's happening is we still haven't solved the supply problem. So that's there, right? Like it, now I think it's just those necessity buys. People need to buy they're, or they need to sell. And, you know, it's not like they're happy
1: about it, but, you know, business had to resume. And unfortunately, Canada supply chain issues in housing, yeah. I, I think at this point, almost intractable. I don't think they're going to get solved.
0: No, it's it's actually uh, ever since all this happened because so many developers didn't start their projects because they were worried about where price point was, was going to land. Um, now it's actually exasperated the problem and it's going to make it even worse. Plus we have immigration still targeting around 500000 a year. So where are those people going? And
1: who's paying for the infrastructure? Canada's infrastructure is aging and dated. Like for example, if you just look at, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, We'll build more housing in St. Catharines, Thorold, Welland, and all these places. Okay, awesome. Are you also creating all the jobs there? Or are the jobs still going to be coming yeah. towards Toronto, Mississauga, yeah. Burlington? So now you're seeing that most of the people are going to have to use the Skyway. We already had the lift bridge closed until... Or that, that hover boat thing that they're coming in with. Okay. <laughs> Which, again, I'm very skeptical about. <laughs> that sounds cool, man. But, yeah. but they've been talking about it yeah. for over a decade, I yeah. close to it. But different people, different... Models. I don't I don't know too many details about the most recent one, but I know that it's been talked about and thought yeah, about So for it may a long not time. actually come to life. So and I mean, when will it come? And yeah. will it will it be able to service at a volume yeah. to actually be effective, right? Because I think about the number of cars that go over the Skyway every day. Yeah, it's huge. Right? right. And and then you have like I mean you have literally lanes closed. Like the other day at eleven AM in the morning, they had a lane closed for maintenance work and i'm just like thinking to myself like schedule maintenance at 11 a.m yeah it should be weekend. at night yeah. usually it is yeah, yeah. so yeah. to me it was just like bizarre to see that yeah
0: well yeah and then that is the the problem here um but it's also an opportunity in a in a way like for a lot of people it's going to be an opportunity um i i think like from a housing standpoint it's it was always going to be tough to figure out where prices were going to settle after all this chaos with the uh the interest rates and you know maybe now we are hitting uh, sort of a, a bottom or maybe there's more to go it's tough to know exactly but it seems like with with the demand element uh kind of coming back and supply actually getting worse <laughs> it's uh you know it's probably uh probably a, a reasonable bet to think that it's going to come back in the near future
1: i 100 percent agree and ultimately it's like anything if you have a crap product mm-hmm. it will struggle yeah. if you have a good product it will do well no matter what, right? Like, there might be small variations, but ultimately you're not going to change a lot during, if you have a good product, you'll be fine. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like it's like Apple. Apple has a good product, mm-hmm. whether it's recession or not, small yeah. dip, yeah. but they'll be okay. If you've got like a crappy product, you know, you're going to Yeah, the crappy product sells when things are hot, but
0: not otherwise.
1: Exactly, because now you've got competition and, you, yeah. you know, the medium and the good products have come down a little bit so you're completely out of the market and so for me it's going to be very interesting to see how the real estate market actually shakes itself out but I think there are great opportunities out there and I think ultimately also the people it's not going to be the asset class that's going to struggle as much because I think ultimately there's such a shortage of supply it's going to be the people who over leverage themselves it's the people who actually just decided to go and buy more properties than they should have It's going to be the people who fudge their lease numbers and things like that to get a yeah. mortgage approval. We know that happens. Okay. You know, we both know people who do that sort of thing. And those are the people that are going to be in a tough spot right now.
0: Yeah, there's going to be people who kind of went beyond their means and either, like, just didn't have the confidence of of what their plan A, B, and C were going to be, right? Like, a lot of those people who just wanted to get in there and, and didn't really have good contingencies. Yeah, that's going to hurt. And, and we're already seeing that. Like, we've okay. both heard, you know, of people who have had come by hard times and you know lost people's money and stuff like that and it's yeah it's unfortunate yeah. so knowing that i mean all, all that's changed since we last spoke like what what are you focusing on now i know you were doing some uh some industrial storage which is a unique topic for this show we haven't had anybody else come on to talk about that um are you still doing that type of project are you into like you know what's new for you right now
1: um so That's new for me. And then another thing I'm looking at with some clients and potentially for myself is actually looking at hurricane distressed land in the U S and land that was being damaged by hurricanes where people just don't have the capital and banks have just taken a hit and just want to offload some, some of the property. Like Fort
0: Myers beach kind of
1: thing or this land in Florida, even in Alabama, Georgia has been hit like that. Louisiana still has from like, Hurricane Irma has got some things down yeah. there. And ultimately, things that would be tough to insure. So it's also good. It, it, it's yeah. it's quite creative, right? Because you have to think about what's my cost of capital to you know build? Who's going to be my client target base? Because you know insurance is going to be an issue. So it's just about finding, is it an opportunity to grow? And can you somehow get federally insured or somehow find a way? Right. To get some so you're not talking about
0: rebuilding these. You're talking about taking just renovating basically we're
1: renovating the land and making it useful for something yeah
0: oh so is it, is it just raw land
1: some of it is some of it's just yeah. damaged land because like it's just there used to be buildings that have just gone yeah
0: right because you can still build in in areas that are in flood zones and stuff you just elevate your property right put it on stilts or you but know some you can't even the grade. Do that
1: right so, so it's all about doing the due diligence and finding it out and it's all about finding it at the right price point you know to actually get it done it's gotta be a deal right it, Exactly, and and so like one of the strategic solutions that like I've seen people doing right now, and something I'm may or may not be interested in doing is like buying a piece of land that you might know is contaminated because of a natural disaster, yeah, and getting a good AAA tenant in there to deal with the remediation at lower rents, five year lease, and you you yeah. figure out your business pro forma, and you say does what could make the land become worth if it gets clean. And once you get the land clean, now suddenly it's worth something. Where are we going from there, right? And how do you get it clean? What does clean constitute? So you really, it's a very technical game that this is not for like your first time investor. But if you actually know and you have the relationships. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're talking about like if you get the right piece of land, it takes one or two plots of land. Because you here you're buying in the hundreds of acres, right? You get one or two pieces of land that actually work for you and you're building generational wealth
0: oh yeah carmen did a project well they're still doing it um but they had to remediate land and it was like prime super prime spot in burlington and uh they remediated it for way less than the original estimates were it was like 100 or two hundred thousand. it was gonna it was gonna be like crazy and they ended up getting it done for a much less amount and now they are building a 200 unit building you know right near Roseland.
1: land exactly. <laughs> exactly and it's all about the appreciation potential of the land that you see and also if you have the relationships and this is why i say like if you're a real estate investor you got to think about who do you need to know yeah. if you want to scale and diversify like getting relationships with companies who are in environmental consultants so it doesn't have to be the yeah. big guys small guys who actually know their work and can actually get it done cheaper right and like get hungry you know
0: exactly like you can you can mitigate the risk just by having those conversations like all of a sudden you talk to a guy oh i've I've done i've done one just like that no it's not going to cost that much because you only have to go down this far like they'll know things because they're industry experts that you might not get without talking to them
1: and the tech is evolving the tech is evolving in like these kinds of spaces at a rapid pace like the ai around like environmental remediation is incredible Like how quickly they can actually get it done. To like analyze what needs to be done. And And also get it done. So you can use AI to... There is AI tech now that like American companies and Australian companies are using to actually remediate contaminated land at a fraction of the time period that it used to take. And and right now as the cost of the AI as it develops comes down, if you have access to that AI, if you know who has it and who's using this tech, because right now they want to prove their tech. So, if you say, come do it on my project, yeah. right? So, like, I, I know someone in the United States who did an AI project right now for, uh, for environmental remediation on a site. And the initial conventional quotation to fix the remediation was $2.5 million, give or take. They got it done with the AI company for just doing promotion. Wow. That they just. That they were allowed Talk to use about it a as a case study <laughs> for the, to show the the technology. That's insane. So, so the feasibility of that project yeah. changed dramatically. Right? Yeah,
0: like yeah. you go from like people not wanting to touch something because of the uncertainty. I've always found that uncertainty um, or ambiguity like that that actually is a huge opportunity in a project. Like if you're the guy that that's willing to go put in the the work, you can you can just outwork the rest, like like we were talking about, and go find a solution.
1: Exactly, and I mean it's it it's a, it's an old adage in real estate if there's an, a structure on the property the uglier the better if you're an investor yeah because then you're not tied to preserving anything yeah and you can go with a clean slate nobody else people get scared most people are yeah. has they like oh i'm not putting my money into that like i literally have clients who go to like parts of hamilton and they're like well i'm not buying that duplex i'm just like so what so you want to basically pay a premium for someone else's finishes then you're not an investor, you're an end user, you're just looking to diversify your income streams, but you're not a real estate investor. You're not actually looking to grow your wealth through real estate investing, you're just looking for a safe way to park your money, which is great, there's nothing wrong with that, but understand who you are. And sometimes people are not willing to understand who they are and how that impacts their goals. Yeah,
0: it's an interesting point. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing to, to pick the uglier one, I mean, I, if it's moderately ugly, if maybe not <laughs> terrible. <Yeah. laughs> um, so what, but for you, like investing those no borders, you're a US investor. Like what other, what are some other countries you're invested in?
1: So, so I would look at opportunities globally. I have no problem yeah. looking at properties anywhere in the world. We've owned properties in Europe. We've owned properties in Africa. Yeah. Like we've owned assets in the Middle East. Like yeah. for us, opportunity, If you limit yourself in any way, you're leaving money on the table. And for us, if you've got a network and you got opportunity, why would you cut yourself into a geographic locale when you don't need to, right? Like when, because the world is so interconnected that with all the facilities that we have now, it's so easy. I mean, like you literally, especially just the way they can uplist, upload listings and things like that. Like, you know, you can literally do a complete deal analysis on a property across the globe and yeah. sitting in front of your computer and it feels like you're there. Yeah. Like, you know, with, again, using AI, using 3D technology, using zoning, mapping, and things yeah. like that. You can see everything from a topographic, like you literally can feel like you're flying over the property, you know, with yeah. some of the- oh, for footage sure. and, I
0: mean, there's some things that you only really get from walking a street and like-
1: But you have to have your team there, right? That, that's yeah. what they would do, right? Like yeah. ultimately, like, and again, it depends on the kind of investor you are. You're not going to be a hands-on investor if buying a property in you know, Papua New yeah. Guinea, for example, but you will, have, you will have to build up a network yeah, and yeah, a team. And, yeah. But ultimately, the main deal analysis is the same. The pro forma, regardless of what goes into it, yeah. you need your local advisors and your team. But ultimately, how the numbers work, it, it, it doesn't change.
0: No, it really shouldn't. I mean, I guess you got to kind of factor in how, like, what tax treatments is, is going to happen. <laughs> but that's like, your local team. Most, uh, most countries that you're looking at, like, would they have some sort of tax treaty with Canada?
1: Most countries do have some kind of tax treaty with Canada. It's the world we live in, right? There's so much interconnectedness with global trade that even, even, even if you don't have a direct tax treaty, you can find a country that they might have a tax treaty with that has a tax treaty with Canada and you can try and connect the two. It's almost like trying to find the triangle to find how you can.
0: So you're connecting the country to another one that has the treaty. Is there like you're literally trying to get that country
1: to change their laws, or no, no you're, not you're not trying, trying to, to get them to change yet. the laws? But there's countries that might have a tax treaty with another country, and the way they're. Their oh, okay. So you're just kind of working through can benefit from the tax treaty that that other country has with Canada. Ah,
0: okay, okay. So you're just filing in one to to get the benefit. It's,
1: it's, it's, it's jurisdiction shopping.
0: <laughs> what a wild concept. Not, not something we really get into uh on this sh- this show but i think that that's like kind of brilliant um okay so right it's, now it's as
1: simple as also like what citizenship do you use to buy a property right
0: are you really using a citizenship
1: sometimes you have to because there's benefits associated with who you are and why you're buying a property
0: oh okay so you know they don't necessarily want to sell to a canadian but they might want to sell to somebody who
1: exactly
0: yeah that's interesting What's the most recent country you bought in that wasn't Canada?
1: I mean, well, the most recent is always the United
0: States. Yeah, so you're you're buying down there regularly. Which states are you focused on right now?
1: Texas is our favorite state. right? Now.
0: And what type of stuff are you buying there?
1: We're open to anything and everything because we just see this o- enormous opportunity. Are you doing self storage down there? Plus, we are in self storage down are there.
0: Are you as well. in regular rentals? Like, would you buy a one a single family or not really?
1: Honestly, it depends. Like. If you're willing to buy and scale, especially new bills, there's a potential opportunity there because just because of the yeah. rentals and the rent... Oh, yeah, you can just, just rate, you you can buy rent- in
0: a neighborhood, right? Like just start amalgamating properties in a neighborhood. Yeah, and
1: so you can get like some decent middle-class neighborhoods because the property prices there are so low. Yeah, taxes and are high, but property prices are low. Yeah, yeah and but I mean, but you know, you there are ways to mitigate the tax issues, right? In taxes, like that's also...
0: Yeah, well, the, I just meant the property tax. Yeah, you have no state income tax, so that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, so there are ways to even like... There are ways to work around that as well.
0: Oh, yeah? Yeah. See, I feel like, can I ask you more about that? (laughs) What do you want to share about that, Hussein? (laughs) (laughs) We can talk about that on the plane. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) There we go. All right. Um, Yeah, like super, super uh, interesting. So give me an example of a deal you you did in uh, Texas that you thought was pretty
1: cool. So honestly like right now like we 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 just picked up a few multi like a uh, single family rentals like in a in in a small community in Houston, which Houston, okay, which I mean we like Houston for us, like you know we have friends, we have family there, so I mean it's a place that we travel to a lot and have a lot of connection to, so we have knowledge of you know and and people they're telling us, hey, this is a good development, this is a good builder, work with them." And so we, we connect with them. You, you buy a few units with them and then they rent it out for you. The builder will handle.
0: So the developer will take care of all that. So they're giving you like a rental guarantee and all that or no,
1: well, not, not a, a rental guarantee. guarantee, but they're saying they'll do but it, they, but they'll manage it for you. They'll handle the reporting requirements. They'll handle all of it and for you. Why? Um, like, I, I think I know the answer. Like you're, you're
0: building a relationship with these people. Yeah. So they, they kind of see you as somebody who'll buy more from them if they do a good job.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you make sure that they know that you will do more business if they do a
1: hundred percent, right? I mean, and 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 the return that they can get you and the the rentals that people are paying, right? Like, I mean, you buy like 300, 325 USD property, for example, hypothetically, right? And you can get rents of two, two to three K on that.
0: So you can almost do one percent rule. Now, obviously, the one thing that's going to throw that is the higher property taxes potentially potentially Potentially. (laughs) let's say hypothetically they were would six grand be like a normal like on a three hundred twenty five thousand dollars house or is it going to be more than that for your annual
1: property tax it depends on how you structure it and how the paperwork you put in
0: the paper oh yeah because you can kind of argue like the valuation and stuff right yeah some places it's easier to do that than others
1: yeah but also sometimes in some counties you can actually just tie it up for long enough yeah. That you can freeze it at like the vacant land or development rate.
0: Yeah, so that's so it's tied up in in the development stage, basically, mm-hmm. to do that. And then, but don't they back assess? Like I've had that happen to me. Like I, I mean, was if the,
1: you if you lose, sure, but I mean, eventually, then you settle before they make. Oh, it. you just keep fighting the valuation, yeah, and then you settle and so say, "Let's just negotiate it. Yeah. there. Let's just agree on
0: half uh, halfway there. Just make sure you double your ask. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean,
1: if you don't ask, you don't receive, yeah. right?
0: that's yeah, hey, that's a fantastic point, right? If you don't ever you know explore the option, then you won't you won't and, know and,
1: and that's the thing. a lot of people get intimidated with making yeah. the ask to the especially to governments, right like oh no, we can't ask the government something but ultimately as long never do anything that's illegal ever because then you're setting yourself offside, right, right. and then I and we will never ever go past yeah. but up to that point, right of up to the point of asking and negotiating and understanding and challenging, right? That is your right. Yeah. That is absolutely your right. And think about it in Canada, right? Like, just the reality is, is show me one property whose fair market value and impact assessment match up. Well,
0: they never do in Canada, but I feel like MPAC intentionally under, under assesses. Why? Because they know the municipalities are going to base their rate off of an adjusted rate, and they don't want to be challenged. They know that if you challenge them as MPAC that like odds are 99 times out of 100, they're actually
1: under-assessed. And, but if you wanted to get higher assessed, because wouldn't, wouldn't they want more government revenue?
0: Well, they do, but I mean, I feel like these municipalities, so if everybody is is assessed at 70% of the actual value, let's just start hypothetically, 70%. If everyone's assessed there, then the municipalities will just set their percentage rate based off of the 70% of the value. So then if anyone ever argues with MPAC, all that's going to happen is, oh, you know what? We've under you. So now let's just bring it up to the full the full value. I, I think for them, it's just tr- strategic.
1: I could be wrong. That's just my that's assumption. True, but oh, but also, like, I mean, if you look at a lot of properties, it's a lot less than 70%. Like, I mean, I have a, I have a client in Toronto yeah. whose, whose MPAC value is 25% of the family. Yeah, value yeah. Value. that'll happen too. Like, so, I mean, you're talking about, like, absurdities,
0: right? Yeah. And all that has to happen is you have a couple of sales and eventually those... And
1: and the larger point I want to make is, other than certain states in the US, which basically assess property value simply directly on your consideration of your purchase Yeah, so whatever you paid. is a percentage and that's it. And that's where like in California, house properties don't shift as much because people don't want to move because it's expensive. Property tax is based on what you paid on Uh, your purchase price, right? So that sucks. But... In a lot of jurisdictions, the system of assessing property tax is flawed. Mm-hmm. It was, and it's been such a contentious area that if you have a lawyer who's motivated and just wants to basically cause a ruckus, yeah, you can cause. Like I've seen, I've got friends, I've got clients, like I've got people who they they got people who just cause such a ruckus and end up getting the property tax diminished. Significantly. Yeah. And even, I mean, and quite frankly, I mean, just look at Donald Trump. Like that's part of what that was part of his shtick, and why he became so successful is he depreciated the value of his buildings in Manhattan for property taxes. Yeah. Now, now he's going through it because I mean, for some reason he decided to run for presidency, and yeah. I mean, it's become a business headache for him because everything's yeah. now being looked at and reassessed. But he got away for the longest time. Well, like I mean, he was his his properties were being valued at significantly less. Then what? And then, com- if you especially compared it to his PNL, like his personal net worth statements, yeah. it was incredible. yeah. So it's
0: just showing it one value for one reason and another. But value he for was another. successful. Yeah, right? he
1: was successful. And that's simply by asking. Like he's got like some of his luxury golf clubs. He had them basically taxed as a farm. A farm? Because he had two goats on them.
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But but this is but this that, is that the met the requirement. Like as long as he had a couple of goats,
1: <laughs> and, and 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 to me, that's his brilliance, right? Yeah. Like to me, finding the is, loopholes. Yeah, he knew, that, So he's very good at real estate because he, his Tim or his team, were brilliant at finding the loopholes, yeah. wherever they went. So you're
0: taking that model. Wherever you go, you'll find the loopholes.
1: I mean, I, I I don't want to be compared to Donald Trump in anyway. Let's <laughs> let's be careful there. But ultimately, if if the loopholes exist. If you're not taking advantage of them, yeah. then somebody else will. Don't cheat the system. I'm never saying cheat the system, yeah. but if the yeah, loopholes it. exist, they, they, they exist for a reason. It's like a tax break. It's like it's equivalent of saying that, well I get a child tax credit, but oh I don't think that's right. I don't I'm not going to take it. Doesn't make sense. If it's there for your benefit, yeah. use it. If they don't like it, they'll close it. No, it's a it's a fair point. Like, if you're gonna play
0: within the system, you might as well uh, a like exploit every opportunity you have, take advantage of it, and uh, play by the rules and fight fight them the appropriate way. Yeah, that makes sense. We've talked about that offline too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Texas, like th- these aren't obviously huge number plays. Like, if you're if you're buying single family homes, but no, but, but they're they're gonna cash have- flow
1: sometimes, sometimes. You and again. Life is not about chasing home runs. Yeah. It's, a, it's a singles and doubles and hitting the odd home run here and there. Yeah. It's about consistently keeping on moving, keeping on churning, not staying still, yeah. you know, and making your money work for you. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're working for your money, you're part of the rat race. Yeah. Right. Well, you, you escape yeah. the wheel when your money starts to work yeah. for you. And that's, that's the ultimate goal. So these ones, you yeah. won't have to do anything on them. Absolutely. Like the developer
0: is going to manage them and, and do all that. So generally, my,
1: my, my, my rule is, is, other than law, which is my hobby and I care about helping people, my, my business ventures, I, I, they should work in a way that it comes to me. Yeah. I shouldn't have to come to it. You have to build up the networks. Because I've reached a stage where the networks, relationships and everything... Yeah people should be presenting, presenting me deals, deals and yeah. it's, it's more like so, like, so these deals as come, as come to you, you. i, 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 I want to be, be as, as hands-off, hands-off yeah. as i possibly can at this point yeah. other than analysis i want to be hands and you're super
0: connected like i mean every time we talk you're like oh yeah i know that guy or i know that <laughs> it's a great it's a great uh thing to have going on um so obviously the, you do have people that are, are reaching out to you with stuff
1: for sure because ultimately also i have i've built my own network right so i can share and, you know, opportunities with others and yeah. what they can do with that. Yeah. And that's my role, right? Like ultimately it's anyone's role is we have a responsibility to try and elevate the human condition. And that comes by whatever blessings one has been given yeah. to use it for good yeah. and to share. Because if you, an abundance mindset mm-hmm. takes you a lot further than a hermistic mindset.
0: Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, you've got you've got to be thinking about what you can do. And just because you've had X results up to to one point doesn't mean that that has to continue. You can choose to change your mindset and focus on bigger, awesome, you know, really cool stuff. And uh and keep pushing. And I also think a lot of people to our point that we started this conversation with don't really push themselves that hard. No. no. They just and, don't and, need and to. And that's my frustration, yeah.
1: right? Is is they it's just they don't want to, right? And like even like one of the things that I, I get from, because I always like to ask clients, like, why do you work with me? Like, why me, right? Because a lot of people who, especially in the real estate space, have worked with other lawyers before because I'm relatively new on the scene and they've worked with other people. So I ask them, like, why me? And one of the things I keep getting is you're responsive. And I think we talked about this the first time I was on the show as well. And for me, it's a, such a no-brainer. It's like, if people are entrusting you with the biggest purchase for most of them in their life, it might not be the, but it's the most significant outlay of capital, the least you can do is just keep them informed. Mm-hmm. The very least you can do is just keep them informed. Yeah. And, and the fact that so many lawyers out there cannot meet that basic standard yeah. and the excuse that oh, well, I'm busy, I have deals. Yeah. I'm sorry, that means you just don't value your clients. Saying I'm too busy to get this done or whatever? Well,
0: they don't properly delegate either, right? Like a lot of these, you know, these lawyers, they they grow faster than they can manage. And then all of a sudden before they know it, they're not responding to people and they don't have a team that can help them. You've done a, a decent job, you know, knowing that I like have worked with you directly. Like you've built your team out a bunch even since I started working with you, I think.
1: Yeah, and and ultimately you have to be, but that's cool again, it's the planning. It's about having a strategic vision of where you want to go and and setting the systems in place before you need them. When you when you're trying oh one hundred you can't wait till to you get, get your systems yeah. in after. Yeah, you're, that's you're where you get into trouble.
0: The reactive versus actually planning, and I I despise being reactive. It's uh it's especially in my construction business. Like everything, I just got to be plan plan plan.
1: Like even in real estate, right? The yeah. people who are being reactive are the people who are following the trends. The people who are planning are the people setting the trends. Who do you think is making more money?
0: Oh, definitely the planners. Um, I had a question that that, that was triggering me to ask you, and now I've f- forgotten. Oh yes. Um. So, do you still sleep only four hours a night? No, I've I've tried to get
1: a little bit healthier. I'm 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 up to five and a half to six. <laughs> five and a half to six. So to bed at eleven o'clock. To bed about eleven and up by five.
0: Okay, that's much more reasonable than the last thing you told me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what is the vision for you though? Like, what do you, what do you, when you look at kind of like your ideal life, are you living it now? Is it something you're working towards? I mean, I think it's, it's not black and white. It's a elements of it that you're probably. I think,
1: I think it, I think it, it evolves. evolves. I yeah. think it, it's about building relationships that are meaningful. For me, that's what life is about. Everything else is peripheral yeah. to building relationships that are meaningful. And what do I mean by meaningful? I mean, talking and spending time with people that I feel enrich me that make me think about life think about the world think about myself yeah. in ways that i did not think before that's my motivation that's that's what i want because i like the examined life i like the introspection i like the self criticism and sometimes i'm not gonna lie like it can be depressing for sure like mm-hmm. depression is something i i deal with and i'm very transparent about it mm-hmm. but for me i feel like that's how i grow yeah otherwise i just Others just choose to be ignorant and just stay in what they want. And that's their choice, right? I don't mean ignorant and negative. Since I just mean that they don't want to probe and ask questions as to, like, what motivates them.
0: Like, like yeah. literally. I, I, so you're saying it could be depressing, like, being introspective about that
1: stuff? 100%, because you realize your own flaws. You become acutely aware of your own weaknesses when you do that and i'm my own worst critic by far and <laughs> but and it can be very lonely it can be yeah. very hard right because then when you start thinking that about yourself then you think well others must be thinking this about me too and then it makes you insecure and See, you i'd say like, i've
0: gotten past that but i am definitely my own my own worst. so critic. i struggle
1: with that still right like I, I, I do fear.
0: but i'm i'm in a similar boat to you like I'll i'll go through phases where i just feel like super depressed and and i actually don't know what brings that on necessarily i feel like some part of me feels like that might be the weather you know in some degree Mm -hmm. but then i also think it is uh, that sense of i haven't accomplished that which i know is important i haven't got it clear enough on this i those are sources of it for me too Mm -hmm. and then yeah of course being introspective and saying i could have done so much more i could have i could have and should have those are sources of that
1: and the truth is we all could do more whether it's Be kinder, be more creative, work harder. There's always something. And the truth is you can't do everything. So it's also learning, and that's my struggle, is to be kind to yourself. It's about realizing that you cannot be everything to everybody. You can't achieve everything you want to achieve.
0: You're doing a pretty good job of it, though.
1: (laughs) But but, but no, but it's still like you have to realize you, you have limitations and you have to be just... Grateful for what you can achieve and take that time to actually, and that's why I I practice like mindful gratitude. Like I'm using the term inaccurately, but it was like Tim Ferriss talks about it in one of his books where he actually says like, you know, like just, and I think it's one of the interviews with someone else he did in the tools of Titans. And actually he, where they talk about like every morning, say three things you're grateful for. And every night then say three things you're grateful for. And, and it's it's so important because it it just changes the mindset.
0: It changes your mindset if you believe in a law of attraction, which I definitely do. Like I think you you program your brain to look for opportunity, to look for more of that which you can be grateful for. And and yeah, it feels good too. Like that. Yeah, it's there's so much of that needed. Hey, when we do our mastermind, people people uh you know, some of them were like, Oh, we're afraid you were gonna do all this mindset stuff. We did a little bit at the end. Uh, and they're like, Well, we're really glad that you did do it because if you don't have that, you're you're not gonna get your results. Like you can learn all the strategies in the world, but if you don't have your mindset in the right place, 100%. you're just not gonna go anywhere. So, 100%. yeah, it's super critical. Uh, Hussein, this is awesome. Really appreciate yeah. the uh, the time. Uh, it's always great just just chit chatting with you and catching up and. Yeah, like I said, we could we could do this a lot. We could go a lot deeper, and you know, we'll uh, we'll get you back again and for sure. and catch up and on we'll next chapter. On the golf course, too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Now, and this yeah. this summer, we've both got young ones, but yeah. they're getting a little older now. We'll get out for sure. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. That's well, ordained. we'll see you there. Yeah. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors.